Hello everyone, I'm Rachel Barilleri and this is Soul Story 20, a place where we explore real life applications and benefits of the heart-brain connection. Through stories, I'm here to provide practical takeaways to help you bring more authenticity and well-being into your life, all within 20 minutes. Let the story begin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Soul Story 20. I am here with an old friend, a wonderful human being, somebody I consider a drop of sunshine in human form. And her name is Melissa Rita. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Melissa and I have known each other, goodness, Melissa, since elementary school, technically, right? Fifth we in grade. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Yes. Yeah. From Enfield, Connecticut. So it is I so cool it. to continue our connection today and to bridge it into our work together. So here's a little background about Melissa. Melissa is a pediatric occupational therapist, otherwise known as an OT, who has been focusing her work through a sensory integration frame of reference. She has been an OT for over five years. She has treated and evaluated children, teenagers, and on occasion, adults, in clinics, schools, and homes to support their journey to independence and live to their fullest potential. Melissa collaborates with and educates teachers, family members, and caregivers to support the understanding of their person receiving OT services, including how to adapt their environment and adjust their relationship to support the needs of that person. All right, so we're going to talk so much about OT today and your personal approach to it. But before we dive into all of that good stuff, what has made your heart happy this week? My heart was very happy over this weekend. I went to a wedding with some college friends. I haven't seen a lot of them in quite a while, so I got to spend the night with them celebrating and just having great conversations. So... And we got to dance, which is one of my favorite things to do. So it was a very, yes. very good weekend. Melissa and I share this love of dance. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. We can't get enough. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about what, what OT is and then what your work looks like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So OT, occupational therapy, is a healthcare-related field. And our goal is to help people live to their fullest potential and to live as independently as possible. So we can work with people of any age from birth to adult and geriatric. We can work in any setting. So we'll go to the home. We work in clinics and hospitals. We also work with any diagnosis. So it could be physical, emotional, mental. Essentially, OT is to help people live their best lives. So that can look like, let's say, there is a patient that a stroke and they can't use the right side of their body. So what does that look like for us? What is like a day-to-day function that we do? It's brushing our teeth every day, right? But if you're right-hand dominant and you don't have any function in your right arm, well, now you have to relearn how to brush your teeth. You can either strengthen your, the left side of your body to brush your teeth, or we can use a lot of adaptive equipment to make a toothbrush that works with the right side of your body so you feel more comfortable brushing your teeth. So we can do things as basic as that, or we can get to the more communal thing. So let's say someone I work with has OCD and they really, really want to go to the YMCA to work out, but because of their OCD, they can't. We can work with 
them to support, okay, what are some coping strategies you can use to make yourself feel more comfortable in the environment? We work with many types of people doing many types of things. So what does your work look like on a daily basis? Yeah, so I work in mental health setting. It is a group home and I'm working with teenagers from 13 to 18 who are in custody of Department of Children and Families. So let's say a client had a really big outburst, like a physical outburst, right? The night before, I'll sit with them that morning when I come in and talk with them and say, hey, like, let's recap that. What could you have used for coping strategies instead? Or how can I support you now? Is there anything I can do to support you to kind of get over that heightened state of arousal and kind of help you regulate back down? I can help kids when they're in a crisis. So if there is a client who is self-harming, then I can look at the coping strategies that we have already identified and kind of switch out their self-harm with something else that I know will work for them, whether that's putty, ice works really well. For some people, like gum is a big go-to for my kids. Cinnamon, mint, bubble gum, just something that can bring them back into their bodies and distract them from kind of whatever is going on in their mind. And then I can also help the other kids who aren't in the crisis, but they're still in the house. And then I also evaluate kids. I assess many different parts of them, including fine motor, gross motor, their sensory preferences. A big thing about being an OT is just being curious about why is, why is the behavior happening and where mm. is that really stemming from? Is it a sensory-based issue? Is it a gross motor issue? Let's say, you know, one of my kids, their chores to vacuum, but they have to bring the vacuum all the way downstairs. They don't have a strong core. They have poor fine motor skills. Bring that vacuum down the stairs is going to be really, really hard for them. Mm. So yeah. they're going to... They're going to be really mad and they might yell <laughs> or they might throw the vacuum downstairs because that's definitely happened before. <laughs> yeah, you are you are speaking to such in, in various ways, the mind body connection, right? Like this emotional outburst, right? It's not really about the vacuuming, but it's connected. It could be right in this example to a body or sensory situation and I would love to dive in with you about the sensory side in particular. As you were saying, using gum even to help move one's attention. A coach of mine in the past used to always say to me, you are where your attention is. And I, I think that's that. so interesting and true. And with a sensory approach, it sounds like you're helping the client move their attention, move out of this very, very challenging, very painful thought pattern and back into the present moment, back into the body. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. 100%. Uh, and along with that, if there's a kid who is processing their senses differently than how they need to in order to be successful in their environment, then we can also work with their sensory system and give them different exercises and tools so that way they feel supported in whatever environment they're in. It is literally connecting their body and their brain because the sensory system innervates so many nerves in the brain and, and overlaps with different systems, specifically the vagus nerve, which controls yep. some emotional part of, of you as a human being. So literally when I'm working with the senses, you are changing your emotional state 
and you are changing the way that pathway they're connecting in the brain. So it's it's really amazing thing what your body can do and, and the connections it can make. And when you support your body for what it needs and you change the environment so that it supports where you are, then then you can be very, very successful. Also, a fun little fact, Rachel, there are actually eight sensory systems. I, I'd love to know them. Sure. So there's the five senses that like most people learn in school, right? Sight, smell, taste, touch, and sound. And then the other three are the vestibular input, the proprioceptive input, and the interoceptive input. Interoception is the feelings that you have inside your body in regards to having to go to the bathroom, knowing what a headache feels like, knowing what a stomach ache feels like knowing when you're thirsty versus when you're hungry sometimes. So it's kind mm -hmm. of understanding like your organs a little bit. And then I'll go to the vestibular input that is located in your ear. And that tells you how fast or how slow you're moving. So if you're running, that tells you, okay, I'm jogging versus I'm sprinting. It also tells you if you're spinning. If you're moving up and down, if you're moving left and right, so it's kind of like what direction am I moving and how fast is it taking me? And then your proprioceptive input is knowing where your body is in space in relation to like your physical movement. So like, for example, if I close my eyes and I put my arms out to the side, so my body's in a T shape. Mm -hmm. I know that if I open my eyes, I can look to the left and right and my arms are in that T-shape. I didn't have to use my vision. The only sense that I used was my proprioceptive sense. And like maybe you could argue that you used your tactile sense because the air around you. When I work with clients where those senses are hyper aroused or under aroused, hypo aroused, it really shifts the way that people show their behavior. and and also what kind of demeanor they have. So it's very interesting. It's a, you know, the sensory system is one piece, again, of the whole body. And there's a lot of other components to it to make up obviously who a human being is. Because like I said before, all of those nerves innervate in the brain at many different places. And typically when you're working with one sensory system, it's, you're not just isolating that sensory system. Right. Because like if you even like working out, it's like actually really difficult to isolate one muscle. Right. Because right. they're all like working together in some way, shape or form as a complete body. So is this kind of similar in that way? Absolutely. Yeah, that was a mm. perfect analogy. So I would love to go through an example, even with just myself, just to yeah. give a bit more context here. For me, I am extremely sensitive to noise. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like jump or startle very easily. If I'm doing something that requires a lot of focus, if there's any noise, I mean, even like a little bit of music in the background or something, <laughs> I can't focus. Uh, if I'm <laughs> driving and I have to park, I have to turn my radio off, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, audio is also a way I learn really well. So it's interesting to have the both sides of that. As a young person, if I was ever in a class that was really loud, I would get very frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I guess that would be like my emotional connection to that sensory overload mm -hmm. i would struggle by learning the coping mechanism of removing myself absolutely and i think that is very hard to do especially growing up you're a kid what do you want to do well i shouldn't say this for everybody but you and i we relate to this what do you want yes. to do you want to follow the rules 
Yes, yes, exactly. And I, I didn't want to make anybody ever upset. So I was never one to be like, hey, can can you be quiet? Or like, I never wanted to come across as needy, you know? So I, I was always afraid to go to my teacher and be like, uh, hey, I, I need to sit outside. I need to be in a different room. Mm-hmm. This one small sensory issue didn't end up being that small because it, it created so much angst and anger inside of me and resentment, you know? Yep. When we work with our clients, we have to help, help them learn to advocate for themselves because if they can't advocate, then exactly, they're always going to feel frustrated. And then if you're in school and you're trying to get your work done and you know you can do the work, but your emotions are overwhelming you, plus that sensory input is overwhelming you. And then by the time that you're able to go up to the teacher and say, hey, I need to, I've got to go. It's like, if they say no, or you got to wait five minutes, done deal. Like mm-hmm. for a lot of our kids, it's like, that's when they're like, no, because they, they've held it together for so long. Kids are so incredibly resilient. So I think they can tolerate a lot more than what we give them credit for. So you have to, Meet them where they're at, and it all comes with with knowing who your client is or knowing who your friend is, you know, and it's like, okay, like building that rapport is incredibly important. So that way you know what their baseline is. So once you learn that, then, you know, you help them advocate for themselves. You're hitting all of those components of compassion, attuning to exactly who you're working with, meeting them exactly where they are, and also being aware of the individuality of each whole person. And that attuning to that person requires rapport and relationship to discover what they truly need. So it sounds to me that a compassionate approach is interlaced in everything that you're doing. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, it has to be. As OTs, it's not just about what our goals are for our clients, we have to collaborate with our clients and say, what is your goal? What do you want to get back to? It's all about your life. It's not about my life. There are so many societal expectations, especially when it comes to school and behavior, right? Or how young people should be behaving. And I often question these expectations. And what I'm grateful for are people like you that I see pausing and beginning to separate from those old narratives and like you're explaining really attuning to what the individual child needs using modern science to then also explain to the families and others you know this is what's going on and there's nothing wrong with it it's just their own way so that's something i'm really excited about in this in the holistic health movement and individualized approaches and and work with kids in particular. I totally agree with that. Helping parents understand, hey, this is your child and you have to see them for who they are. And I think also it's really hard for some parents is you're going to have to change your expectations of your child. And also you're going to have to change the way that you're talking to your child. You're going to have to change the environment of the house that you have. You have to help them understand what is sensory and you have to help them understand their child. So often the work that we do, I, I feel like, informs us about our inner selves, of course. So how has your work in OT and with this sensory frame, how has it helped you on your own path of self-learning, personal growth, and self-compassion, you know, that love of self? If you could kind of tell us a bit more about that. 
Yeah. The more you learn about your body and the more you learn about your brain, the more you analyze yourself because how can you not, in my opinion? (laughs) Um, Right. So working in a clinic, I would really have great rapport with certain kids. And I would bring these kids that I clicked really well with out into the waiting room where their parents were. And the parents would tell me, here's the things that happened this week with my daughter or son or, you know, little person. And some of the things and comments they were saying, I'm like, oh, I remember adults in my life saying those things to me. So a big one was like, just sit still. Mm. So my client's parents would be like, they just can't sit still. They're at the dinner table and they just are moving around and they're standing up and they just can't sit and eat dinner. And I'm like, oh, yeah, got it. Okay. And then a big one was, I remember one of my eighth grade teachers telling me, she's like, you've got everything. We just got to put a little fire under your butt so that way you can just do it a little faster. So I was always, I can, I can complete everything and I know how to do it. It just takes me a very, very long time to do it. Or I should say longer compared to the peers of my age. Mm-hmm. And again, I was, I, I'd be hearing that from the, the parents that I would be working with of, of my clients. And all of these comments are about behavior and how are they doing in comparison to their peers. But the way that I am addressing these behaviors is through a sensory framework reference. So me hearing the parents that I'm working with say these comments, it forces my brain just immediately to my past. And I say, oh, that's what adults in my life were saying about me. And then, oh, what does my sensory system look like? How do I support my sensory system? Why do I like dance? I hate yoga. Granted, I do it now, but you know, when I was growing yeah. up, I would, I always was on the move. I really didn't like sitting down. Now I'm, you know, analyzing myself saying like, why is that the case? Why was I calm in certain scenarios, but not in other? How does that relate to my life now? And then also, I think what's important to say is if you are working with people, I think it's natural for us to reflect on ourselves, especially if you're working with like in a mental health related field or you're working with mental health in any form in your job. You reflect mm-hmm. on yourself when you were younger, potentially, but also you're reflecting on where am I in my life right now and how does what I do for my day-to-day job impact how I feel and what I do now. And that was, it, it was a big, big transition to just kind of analyze yourself in a very, very different way than you've ever analyzed yourself before. I could not agree more. So even my work being an educator, I can connect to a lot of what you're saying. As an adult, and always in my life, I, I'm also a physical person. I've always loved sports. I love to run. I love to exercise. And it's interesting you said about yoga because even now, that's a more difficult practice for me to slow it down. I like like more high, like high intensity interval training is my jam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I'm working, even now, I need to walk around. I have to move my body. I love a standing desk, for example. And so as a teacher, I noticed in my classroom, kids who like to get up a lot, just always like getting up to go sharpen their pencil, right? Oh, do you need me to take that down to the office? Yes. You know, can I, can I walk, can I go throw this out? And for me, immediately, I'm like, oh, I see you. You need to move. And so a big, one of my favorite things in school was to do a lot of brain breaks that were very movement based. And so like my middle school class, our favorite brain break was either line dancing or the limbo. And it was so much, it was also so much joy. Uh But at the same time, to your 
point a second ago, there were students always who asked, I would not like to participate. I would just like to sit quietly. Mm -hmm. That's recharging for me. Right. And of course, you don't have to, part. you know, if that's recharging for you, but just all of that has helped me also, you know, reflect on my own needs. How would you describe an aligned mind-body connection? I think if you are able to acknowledge what your body is feeling and then honor that, I think that is probably the best way to support your well-being. And so that can be in regards to, oh, I'm recognizing I'm hungry. I should go eat. Or like you said before, Rachel, with your auditory sensitivity, just like, this is too loud for me. I'm going to honor that and move away from that situation. And for some people, it can be really hard to tune into those things because of pressures from society, because of pressures from their peers or different adults in their life. I think that can be really hard to do. And in some situations... You can't always honor those scenarios. If you are on the T in Boston, you know, in a subway and there's a person blasting music, I mean, you absolutely could go up and say, excuse me, that's very loud. Can you please turn that down? Mm -hmm. Kudos to you if you can do that. I am not <laughs> a person that can do that. Um, <laughs> but that's a situation where it's like, okay, I got to wait for the next stop to get off or I just have to sit here uncomfortably. And that's when coping strategies come in and saying like, okay, I'm just going to listen to my own music. I'm just going to take some deep breaths. I'm going to move to a different car at the next stop. So that's where those coping strategies come in when you can't escape those inputs that are uncomfortable. Or alternatively, if you can't give yourself the input that you need in order to feel relaxed. So if you're in a meeting, for example, you have to figure out how to just kind of, okay, I just have to sit here and wait till it's done. And that can be really hard. So I think if you're able to, again, just like understand your body and its needs internally and then honor them at some point in the day, I think you are doing a very good job of supporting yourself. And that aligns so perfectly with self-compassion. It's attuning to what, to what you're feeling, just being aware of it, not judging it, right? Absolutely. This is exactly what I'm feeling. And then taking the action to alleviate your own suffering. And like you just said, that takes nuance, right? Because mm -hmm. you can't, maybe the situation doesn't allow for immediate remedying, but that's where the coping mechanisms come in, whether that, like you just said, is a deep breath, moving your attention, et cetera. So when it comes to attuning to your own self-care, Melissa, is there a favorite practice, routine, technique that you use to, to, meet, to meet your needs and, and care for your emotional wellness? Yeah. Okay. I'm very excited about this question because I was thinking about it. I'm like, what do I do to like make myself happy? I'm a very, <laughs> I love talking to people. I love being around. I love having good conversations. So for me, that is a huge one. But another thing that I've found rings true with any like fun activity I do, there is a start and there is a finish. There is a, you have to complete this thing and you have to shake up your routine a little bit to go do this thing. And you feel success after it. And it might have been hard to start, but you do it. So for me, sometimes it's getting up early in the morning to go to the yoga class, but then there's an end to that yoga class. And at the end of that yoga class, I can say, yes, I did the thing and it made me feel really good. Yeah. You start it and then you eventually finish it. And then you can say, 
I think this is another big part of it is sharing your completion and the success you had with other people. So whether that's for me, like in a studio, uh, a bunch of people doing a yoga class or a workout class, like I'm with other people and we're all like, yes, we finished this. Mm, and all of the lovely, happy chemicals that go off in the brain when you check something off a list or complete it. Right. Mm. That makes sense there, too. And just also, I like that you're highlighting the importance of celebrating ourselves. Mm. I feel like that's something I'll speak for myself that sometimes it's hard to do and it makes me reflect on my level of self-love. So thank you for for naming that. You're giving yourself time to do something you enjoy doing. We've seen on Instagram and social media that self-love is taking a bubble bath and self-love is doing face masks and getting your nails done. I, again, I'm not a person that likes to sit still, so I don't really like doing that stuff. Yeah. But still, I'm taking time for myself when I go to that dance studio or when I go to that yoga studio. I'm just worrying about me and myself in that moment. Melissa, thank you so much for sharing your practical wisdom with us today. You are so welcome. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. If you could, please, if you're enjoying the podcast, Go ahead and give it that five-star rating, share it with your friends, and keep spreading this conversation of compassion in everyday life and everyday interactions because it is the foundation that sustains so much of our heart happiness, our, our health, and, and just so much more. So thank you all so much. We'll catch you next time and have a great rest of your day.